today is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 39. And we are continuing our study through the Bible, um, looking at all of redemptive history, our story from the beginning of the page of Scripture to the end. And we are coming to the close. We only have a couple sermons left in this series. Um, so uh, we are going to look today at uh, something that happened in the church just prior to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, and then we're going to move towards the end, towards the judgment uh, and uh, resurrection and um, the final state of all things in the weeks to come. So with that being said, let's uh, focus our attention today on verses 23 through 29. And if you want, you can go back in your devotions and read the first couple of verses there because that is context, but we're not going to be dealing with those uh, things in in detail. So maybe read those later on. Uh, But for now, we're going to start verse 23. These are the words of the living God. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Um, Hold on. Lost track of my... Uh, For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this awesome text. Um, There are many things in here uh, that are hard to understand. They're even hard to uh, listen to for us. But Lord, help us to be attentive to them today and draw out the implications of them for our lives. Father, I pray that you would help me to get out of the way as your word is preached so that your people can hear you speak. Remove all distractions from our midst 
today and help us to be focused on you and you alone. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Today I want you to imagine for a moment that you have gone, uh, that you have gone free mountain climbing. Uh, that is mountain climbing without any harnesses or anything of the sort. By the way, kids don't try this at home. Um, you have gotten all the gear, you've gotten all the training, you've got the shoes, you've been preparing yourself, doing the, the working out, uh, climbing walk, rock walls, conditioning yourself, and you are now ready for the, for the real deal. <laughs> You're ready to go out there and brave the mountain. And so you set out on your mountain climbing expedition, and you start out well, and you make it about halfway or three-quarters up the mountain, and then you realize that you can't go on anymore. You realize that there's no longer a place for you to put your foot or a place for you to grab on and your energy is waning and you don't know what you're going to do. Now the top of the mountain is in sight and as you look down you realize that it would be much more dangerous for you to try to travel back down the mountain because you have gravity behind you and on a steep jagged surface like that it would be dangerous to go back and so you must continue on. And friends, the Christian life is that way, uh, to come into the church and to learn about Christ and the grace that he gives to us, and then to turn away is very dangerous. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that we would have been better off having not known uh, the things of God than having to known them and then uh, later turned away. So today we're going to see that in our, t- our text in three ways. I'm going to focus on three things mainly today, and all of them start with because we are Christians. So number one, because we are Christians, we must continue to associate ourselves with Christ. Number two, because we are Christians, we must continue to trust in Christ. And number three, because we are Christians, we must not turn away from Christ. So we see that first point, because we are Christians, we must continue to associate ourselves with Christ in verses 23 through 25. So let's look back at that now and focus on those verses. Starting in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Verse 27. um, uh, uh, No, I'm going to leave verse 25. Um, So just to set the stage, and I'm going to give a little bit of context for this letter to the Hebrews to kind of help us what help us understand exactly what's going on here. The letter to the Hebrews uh, is written just prior to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, which has been a most momentous event on the horizon ever since Jesus finished his ministry around 30 AD. So these Jewish Christians, these Hebrews, are living in the 40-year gap in between these two most important events. And persecution has began to ramp up in the church uh, during this time. And there is a temptation for these Hebrew Christians to go back down there to the temple and begin offering up sacrifice. You will remember that the temple was the most integral part of 
the Jews community. It was a way of life for them. And so for anybody to separate from the temple and identify themselves with Christ, they would stick out like a sore thumb in their community. Also, uh, the Jews who separated themselves from the temple system of worship to identify with Jesus would experience intense hostility and persecution from the Jews of their day. If they continued to go down there to uh, the temple and practice Judaism, they would not have to face losing uh, the liberty and the status uh, that they had to function within their society. They would not have to worry about being ostracized from their community. But if they did, if they left the temple in order to follow Christ and worship him in simplicity, as we said, or as we saw they did back in Acts chapter 2, in their homes, they faced persecution and even the possibility of being deprived of their possessions. So you have to understand there was an incredible pull on the Jews at this time to go back down there to the temple and to offer sacrifice. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says, don't do that. Don't do that. The once for all sacrifice for your sin has been offered up in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you go back down there to Jerusalem at the temple, there's no longer any forgiveness left for you. There's no forgiveness down there for you. He says in verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So the exhortation is to hold fast to the promises uh, that God has made to us. Uh, We're to hold fast to the promises. We're to have faith in the one who has given the promises. And again, the writer here is pointing to the faith that we must have in God and the things that he has promised us. God has promised us some things in Jesus Christ, and we are to persevere in faith, believing that he is going to give them to us until he does give them to us. Just prior to this, the writer mentions the baptism of believers. That's in that section that I mentioned at first. Uh, He mentions the baptism of believers. Here he is mentioning the confession of believers. And these are both things that would identify uh, a person with Christ and the Christian community. In our baptism, we are identified with Christ and the church. And in our confession of faith, we are identified with Christ and the church. And in our gathering together to worship him, like we do here on Sunday morning, we are identified with Christ and and the church, and that is the thing that the writer of the book of Hebrews warns them not to neglect. He warns them, don't neglect that. He says there in verse uh, 25, uh, not neglecting to meet together. You see that? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, there was a temptation to separate from the church and to do the things that the rest of the nation was doing. And he warns them that the day is drawing near. That is, the day that Christ is going to come and judge that nation for their sin against them. He's saying, look, it is not okay to profess Christ as Lord, to join yourself to the church, to become a member of the church, and then just to go and act any old way. He's saying that's not okay. You can't do that. And if you do, uh, there are going to be ramifications now and possibly in the life to come. 
Uh, If in your heart you continue to put these other things in the place of Christ, you will not find yourself saved on the day of judgment. Now, what the Hebrews were dealing with here is some good old-fashioned peer pressure. We don't have any of that in the day in which we're living, right? Anybody dealt with peer pressure as of lately? Every one of us uh, experience peer pressure on some level or another, depending on what circles you run in. If you are a younger person, the pressure may be for you to run off into the woods with your friends out of sight, where nobody else can see, where the parties happen, where you can do whatever you want. If you're a more middle-aged person, maybe the, the pressure is from people around you to not come to church and to do other things on Sunday morning, or maybe if you're part of the, uh, if you're an, if you're one of the older folks, it may be to cheat in the card game or to do the things that you know you're not supposed to be doing, to cross the line, to cross lines that you know you're not supposed to be crossing. Um, and I think that is ultimately the crux of the writer's argument. You are now a Christian, and so you're not to act like the rest of the people around you, right? And the constant draw from the world is going to be for them to try to get you to act like them. To do the things that you used to do. To do the things that they do. To do the things that you know you should not be doing. And it's going to take some discipline and commitment for you to not go back. And what God is saying here is, you are not to go back and associate yourself with the rest of the world. You are not to go back and associate yourself with the rest of the people. You are a Christian, and so you are to associate yourself with Christ and his people. Therefore, you must be committed to Christ. Your allegiance must be to him and to him alone. You must discipline yourself uh, to obey him in every area of your life. And there, listen, friends. There are going to be times when it is going to seem like it is easier for you to go back and do it the old way. To do it the way that you've always done it. To do it the way that the rest of the people have done it. And it is going to take some discipline and self-control that can only come from the Holy Spirit not to do it. You see that? It's going to take discipline and self-control, but you've got to get it from God. But you have to get it. And it will take, um, and when you continue to submit yourself to God time and time again, when you give yourself to Him in these things, He will give you a greater and greater desire to obey Him. And before you know it, following God in each one of these situations will become easier and easier. It will almost become second nature to you. But it's not going to be right at first. It will be hard at first to deny yourself and do the things that are contrary to who you are. But as you continue to submit yourself to God time and time again, and you get further and further away from that last temptation, the last time you gave yourself to that thing, whatever it, were, uh, whatever it was, it will become easier for you to turn away from it in the future. And God will eventually give you victory over it, but you have to continue to submit yourself to Him. Because again, the strength and the grace to do it comes from Him, comes from the Holy Spirit. So because we are Christians, we must continue to associate ourselves with Christ. We see that second point, because we are Christians, we must continue to trust in Christ in verses 26 through 31. Um, 
Let's read verses 26 and 27 first. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Let's keep going. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? He says some things here that we're not used to hearing. If we continue to sin willfully... Uh, after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sin. What is, he, what is he saying? Does that mean if after we become Christians and we go back and sin again, that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is no longer any benefit to us? Is he saying that once you are a Christian and once you go back and start sinning, that you lose your salvation? Uh, read on in verses 28 through 31. Again, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What the writer is doing here is he is making an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's making an argument from the lesser to the greater. In the Old Testament, under the law of Moses, if somebody knew the law of God and they directly defied it, they willingly disobeyed the the law of God, they ignored it, at the testimony of two or three witnesses, that person could be put to death under the law of Moses. And he's saying, how much more? How much worse will it be if you reject the three witnesses in the new covenant, which he sets forth as the Son of God, the blood of the Son of God, and the witness of the Holy Spirit? So it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. Look at the punishment that people received in the Old Testament for this sort of crime. It was a capital crime. They were put to death. How much worse is it in the new covenant if you reject uh, the things that God has told us to do in Jesus Christ? Well, it's an eternal crime. <laughs> and it will result in eternal death. And then he quotes two passages from the law of Moses to establish his point. He says that it is a uh, fearful, uh, I'm sorry, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. Now, what are we to make of all of these things? How is it that somebody in the church today experiences such a severe judgment? Uh, How is it that God judges his people in this way? Well, one of the things that we have to do, first of all, is understand this passage within the context of the covenant. You have to understand the passage within a covenantal framework. There are people who are covenantally connected to Christ by way of their baptism and profession of faith who come under these blessings. They come under the authority of the Son of God. They come under the blood of 
the new covenant, and they come under the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is to say they become members of the church. All of those things become a reality for people who are members of the church. And there's a sense in which each person who comes into the church comes in contact with each one of these blessings that were mentioned before. But they do not apprehend them by faith. And that is the important caveat. There is a sense in which on the periphery we come in contact with the blessings. Um, People who just come into the church through profession of faith and through baptism. But there are some of those people who do not apprehend them by faith. That is, they do not lay hold of them by faith and continue to hold on to those things by faith until the very end. That is the difference. This is where we must understand something about the nature of the church. The church includes people who are saved and people who are not saved. The church includes people who are elect and who are not elect. People who are regenerated by the Holy Spirit and people who are not regenerated by the Holy Spirit. The church includes people who have sort of a peripheral faith, a surface-level faith, but not a faith that goes all the way down. And there are people in the church who are true and genuine believers. Now, these people, this first group of people, the non-elect, the unregenerate, the people who are sort of just tangentially believers, they are part of what is known as the visible church. Okay, The visible church. That is the church that you see around you right now. That is the church that you see on Sunday morning when you come in here. It's the physical church that you see with your eyes. But the latter group of people are part of what is known as the invisible church, the elect, the regenerate people, the people that are true blue believers all the way down are part of the invisible church. And that is the church that God gives faith to by the Holy Spirit. The people in that church are given faith by the Holy Spirit and they believe in Jesus until the very end. Those are the people that will stand before the judgment seat of Christ on the last day and be justified. Okay, But these other people, these people who just join the church, they superficially experience the blessings of the covenant on the surface, but in the end they spurn them. They never truly believe the promises deep down and therefore they turn back. They continue to do the things that God has told them not to do and therefore on the last day they find themselves up under the judgment of God. So it's not that these people lose their salvation. The problem is they never had it. That's an important caveat. People do not lose salvation. They never had it. John, in his letter, says that they went out from us because they were not of us. They went back out there into the world, or they left and went back to their old life, or whatever the case may be, because they were not of us. That is, they were not truly of us. That is, people who are not truly saved do not continue in the faith. It's as simple as that. People who are not truly saved do not continue in the faith. And for the Hebrews, that meant turning away from the covenant community and going back down there to the temple and offering sacrifice once again, which was prohibited. Christ had offered up the final sacrifice for sin once and for all. And that is why he says there no longer remains a sacrifice 
for you down there in Jerusalem, but only a judgment. That city was about to come under the judgment of God. God was going to judge Jerusalem in 70 AD. And those who went back down there to identify themselves with that old system of worship, offering up sacrifice, would die in it. They would die in that judgment that was coming. And there's a good possibility if they went back down there and were offering up sacrifice that they would die in the final judgment as well. That is, if they abandoned the church and went back to their old ways, they would die in the final judgment, in a final sense. Now, in the church today, we are living in the exact same situation. The exact same situation. There are people in the church, and when I say the church, I mean the people that you see around you, the people that you've known for years, the people that you serve with on a regular basis, who are part of the true church, who are truly believers, and there's people in that group who are not. That's just the way the church is. But nevertheless, there are benefits that we all share by being a part of the covenant uh, community. Uh, Let me explain. Everyone who is baptized and professes faith in Christ experiences the grace of God that God pours out on his church on on a weekly basis. For instance, every member of the congregation gets to come in here each week and hear the promises of God recited. You hear the promises of God being preached, that's a blessing to you. It's a blessing for everybody. You get to hear them and you get to take comfort in them. Every member of the congregation gets to partake of the grace that is offered to us in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Every member of the congregation gets to experience that. Every member of the congregation gets to experience the blessing of the oversight and the accountability that you have of being in a part of the local church. You get to experience the fellowship of the saints. That is the unconditional love that people show to you when you come into the church because of who you are, not because of what you have to offer. That's a blessing. That's a grace of God that comes to you, no matter who you are, when you come into uh, the church. You get a biblical worldview. Everybody who comes in here gets a biblical worldview set forth before them every week, and that is, God willing, you know, if I don't depart from the Scripture, and you, that's going to shape your way of thinking, and that's going to help you out there in the world. So that's a blessing to you. Moreover, the, the covenant renewal worship that we take part in every week is a grace to everybody who comes in here. They get to come in here, and God invites us into his presence. We come, we give thanks, we give praise to him. Uh, We confess our sins to him, and he forgives us. Um, And then he takes his word, and he cleanses us with it. And if we have communion, he fellowships with us, and then he sends us back out into the world to do it all over again. That's a grace that we get when we come into uh, the church. But here's the thing. Only for the true and genuine believer do these things have any real and lasting significance. Only for the true and genuine believer do they have any eternal significance. Uh, And that is because true and genuine believers actually cling to the promises promises of God. And therefore they receive the peace, the eternal peace that is offered to us. They receive forgiveness of God. Sins. They get genuine assurance of their salvation. Baptism and the Lord's Supper become a means of your salvation, a way in which God delivers your salvation over to you, as opposed to a way of judgment. Any other way becomes judgment for you. <clears throat> but again, these things are offered to everybody every week. And what, is God, and what God is saying here is that we need to continue to lay hold of them by faith. Because if we turn away from them and spurn them, All of these promises and all of these benefits will be used for our judgment and condemnation and not our salvation and our blessing. You see that? We cannot take these things for granted, friends. We cannot knowingly turn away from the things that God has 
commanded us to do without great repercussions, without great detriment to ourselves. If the Hebrews disobeyed God, they would die in time and in history. They would die if they went back down there to the temple when the judgment came. And they would also be destroyed in the final judgment. And for us, it is no different. If you turn away from God now in direct defiance of his word, you can have no assurance that you will be saved. Moreover, you will experience consequences for your sins here and now. This is the old principle of reaping what we sow. Right? We, we know this reaping what we sow principle. God is the sovereign over the universe. And so if you ignore his commandments, you can expect there to be some repercussions here and now. For instance, you may find yourself estranged from God. You may find yourself estranged from his people. Uh, you may find yourself going through some really dark times. Uh, you, you may find yourself doing some things that you wouldn't have done had you been obeying. You may find yourself in a place that you wouldn't have been had you been obeying. It's simple as this. You will experience the consequences of your bad decisions. You will experience the consequences of your bad decisions. For example, your bad decisions and disobedience will have an effect on your mind and your body. There may be physical and mental uh, repercussions to the things that you do now. Ultimately, at the end of the day, what you are doing when you are walking in disobedience is you are opening yourself up to take a loss somehow. Whether that's spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, Whatever, you're opening yourself up to take a loss. Now, for the believer, God uses these things to discipline us. You see, for the believer, God uses these things to discipline us and to get us back in line with his will so that we will serve him. But for the unbeliever, uh, they become God's judgment against them. And it is evidence that they are uh, going to come under the judgment of God on the last day. So again, Nobody in the whole congregation can take these warnings lightly. Nobody. You cannot say, well, you know, I'm, I'm one of the elect, <laughs> so these things don't apply to me. No, if that is your mentality, then these things very may well apply to you. Um, that may be evidence that you are under the judgment of God. So every person within my hearing needs to take these things that God says seriously. We cannot take the benefits and the blessings that God offers to us for granted. And we cannot expect to willingly disobey God, doing the things that we know he's told us to do, the things that we know we're not supposed to be doing, and expect there not to be any consequences here and now. So because we are Christians, we must continue to trust in Christ We see that final point, because we are Christians, we must not turn away from Christ in verses 32 through 39. Let's read that again. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison, Excuse me, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has 
a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You hear that? I hope that was an encouragement to you. There are two major exhortations in this section. Uh, The first is recall the former days and do not throw away your confidence. Uh, I'm sorry, recall your former days and do not throw away your confidence. Those are the two. So the first one, recall the former days when you were enlightened, he says. What is he talking about? He's telling these Christians to remember when they were first converted and the boldness and the faithfulness that they had then. Remember what it was like then? They had to stand out as members of the Christian community by being baptized and publicly professing Christ as Lord. And this would set them apart and put a mark on uh, their backs. He says, you need to remember when you were that way. Be willing to boldly stand up for what you believe and even willing to suffer loss. These people were publicly marked out for ridicule and suffering. It's as if they had a target on their backs, and indeed they did take the hits. And some of them were deprived of their uh, possessions, and they were willing to do it. People were coming in and taking their stuff. And we don't know if this was was coerced by the government or people were coming in and robbing them or what, but nevertheless, they were willing to give it all up because they knew that they had something better. And so the first exhortation is to recall the former days. Okay? Second, he exhorts them, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. And he goes on and says that they have need of endurance so that they can receive the promise after they have done the will of God. He says the righteous live by faith, but those who shrink back, who shrink back from what? Who shrink back from their faith, my soul, God has no pleasure in them. He says my soul has no pleasure in him. What do all of these things have in common, friends? Well, it's perseverance. It is perseverance in the faith, continuing to uh, lay hold of the things that God has promised to us by faith. And so the exhortation is to continue on. And the exhortation is to the entire church because there's a chance that some of them and there's a chance that some of you will turn away. And so the exhortation is to continue on. And the writer encourages them and he encourages us in verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Uh, We are not of those. Genuine believers are not the kind of people who shrink back. Now, this does not mean that you don't have some lapses in your faith from time to time. This doesn't mean that sometimes you don't take two steps back and one step forward, right? What this means is you keep going. You keep going. You don't turn away. You continue repenting of your sins. You continue looking to Jesus Christ by faith to save you until the very end. To draw back here is not to, uh, to backslide. That's not what to draw back means. It means to defect from the faith altogether, to leave the faith. 
And he is warning everybody in the congregation because it starts with a little compromise here and a little compromise there. And before you know it, you're abandoning your Christianity altogether. So every one of us are being warned by this. So the exhortation is for every one of us to keep going. Now, the exhortation for us today, again, is exactly the same. It's exactly the same. Have you been dabbling in things that you know you ought not to be dabbling with? Have you been thinking about it? Are you just not as interested in the things of God as you used to be? You need to remember the former things. That's what he says. Remember the former things. Remember how it was in the beginning when nothing else mattered except the fact that you were a Christian and that your sins were forgiven. And you couldn't get enough of God. You wanted to be in Bible study. You wanted to be in his word, studying his word all the time. In every Bible meeting you possibly could, you were excited to be a Christian. You couldn't wait to tell other people about it. You were bold in your faith. He says, remember the way that you were then. Remember how you were then and have that same exact mentality today. So remember the former things. Second, don't shrink back. Uh, The temptation is to go back and start living for yourself again. To do the things that uh, to do things for yourself, to do the things that please you instead of God. And that could be hanging out with old friends, that old group of friends that cares nothing about the things of God. Uh, that could be, you know, not showing up to church on Sunday morning because you need to catch up on other things or you want to go boating or something like this. Uh, ultimately, the temptation is to sin and to keep sinning. Okay? to sin and to keep sinning, to become unrepentant, uh, to become unrepentant. That is, keep doing those things that you know you shouldn't be doing. Keep doing the things that you know God has told you that you shouldn't do with no remorse whatsoever, with no confession of your sin, just to keep going. And if you keep going that way, you're going to keep going right on into hell. And so the exhortation is to not shrink back. It's to not turn back. So, we have seen that for the Christian, Christ must be our all in all. He has given us everything that is necessary for our salvation, and so we cannot turn back. There's no other place to go. To be a Christian means that we belong to Christ, and therefore we must associate ourselves with Christ and his people. To be A Christian means that we are saved by Christ, and so we must continue to trust in him to save us. And to be a Christian means that we follow Christ, and therefore we must not turn away from him. So, let us be associated only with him. Let us trust only in him, and let us never turn back from following him, for he is indeed our all in all.